Welcome back to Our Story. I'm Matt Stone. Glad to have you again with us here with Dr. Phil Schrader as we continue our journey through the book of Jonah in our breakthrough series that's uh, launching our 2021 year. So, uh, Phil, excited to jump into chapter three of Jonah. We looked at chapter one and chapter two last week. Which, uh, which really tells most of the story that we know about Jonah, right? When we were kids, we learned the story of Jonah, and the end of that story that we learned as kids is really when Jonah is swallowed by the large fish and then spewed out. Uh, well, that story ends at the end of chapter 2, but that's only halfway through the book, and this is where I think things get really interesting uh, in the story of Jonah. Uh, you know, the, the story about the fish is certainly a captivating story. It captures our imagination, and it's fun to think about. It's, it's fun to picture. But the real meat of this book, I think, is the back half of, uh, of this book. And so we're going to start to get into a lot of that in chapter three. So, Phil, where are we headed this week? Uh, this week, uh, the message comes to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to him the first time, and he decided to go against that. And this time, the word of the Lord comes again, and it doesn't say go immediately. It says get up and go to Nineveh, and it's called a great city once again. And this time, he's told to proclaim a message that I tell you versus crying out against the city. God's going to get more specific this time. Yeah, and you start to see why Jonah's not really all that interested in going to Nineveh, because the message that he brings is uh, is not particularly happy. Here in uh, in verse four, Jonah cries as he's walking across uh, the city of Nineveh. He cries, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And the people, and this is what's so surprising, the people of Nineveh, this is verse 5, believed God, and they proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, I, I just wonder, what what was it about Jonah's message that convinces a people who don't believe in God to now suddenly not only believe in God, but repent? Right, and to turn from their evil ways, uh, just with a sentence. Uh, there have been some thoughts over the years that... He did this every couple of miles. So it's not that he walks into the middle of the city and yells it once, that there's some thoughts that he said this over and over again as he was walking through, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he goes to the next block and announces it again. But surely it's not the, the, the complete content of the message, right? What's he saying? It sure would be a lot, make preaching a lot easier if that's all we had to do. It'd make our worship services a lot shorter. That's true. Yeah. But what is Jonah saying? I, like, I, I still am stuck on this. What is it about Jonah's message that um, elicits a response? Could it be that there's some contextual clues in the way that he's dressed, that they realize he's somebody that's not from there uh, coming to say this word? Yeah, that could be. That could be. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know. I think as I've tried to wrestle with that, for me, it's a good reminder, I think. It's a good reminder that the one doing the speaking, when I think about just my own preaching life, the one doing the speaking isn't the one doing the work. That's the only answer I've got. Sure. So that the words that Jonah speaks, which, sure, again, surely we don't have the entire <laughs> the content text, of his yeah. message. Surely there's more there. But the words that Jonah speaks um, are... 
partnered with the work of God in Nineveh. And, and that always draws me back to what's Jonah doing in Nineveh in the first place? And what does God care with, uh, about Nineveh in the first place? God cares about Nineveh because they're people and God wants people. He wants more people. And so he wants them to hear that message. I don't know. This is a, it's a real um, conundrum for me when I think about what Jonah is actually proclaiming and what the people are responding to. And, and what I hear you saying is that, you know, you're trusting the Holy Spirit to intercede between what he says and to what they hear. That's the only answer I've got, because yeah. otherwise it makes no rational sense that the people would respond in this way. Right. We've all heard crazy people saying crazy things, particularly of late about, you know, the end of the world. And if we don't change, then the world is going to come to an end. And what do we do with those messages? We either ignore them or we laugh at them, but we don't listen to them. Right. That's the message that Jonah brings. The world is coming to an end in 40 days. He even puts a specific time limit on it. It's 40 days. But the people neither ignore it nor laugh at it. They somehow respond to it. And not just the people, but the king gets involved. This becomes a, a high proclamation from on high for uh, the people of Nineveh. There's a decree by the king and his nobles that uh, codify what the people have said already. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, this is one of those interesting parts of the passage uh, or parts of this book that, that has consequences, I think, beyond the specific meaning of Jonah, uh, particularly as we come up on Ash Wednesday, right? As Ash Wednesday approaches, this particular passage, uh, verse 6 in chapter 3 of Jonah, is a passage that is often referenced in, in conversation around Ash Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the question invariably comes up around Ash Wednesday, why do we do this? Well, oftentimes we'll turn to this passage and say that ashes uh, mark a season of repentance uh, because we see um, that uh, in verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. That's such an interesting way to use that passage for me, but um, it has uh, it, it has usage beyond just the specific meaning here in Jonah three. And and the Lenten packet you'll be getting from us if you're not able to come wor- worship in person, we'll be giving out Lenten packets that include sackcloth and ashes, kind of burlap uh, that will be on the outside wrapping to remind us of the rough patch and putting on sackcloth and having the ashes that you can take home. So that'll be part of uh, the Lenten kits, just like we gave out Christmas Eve kits. There'll be Lenten kits available for people uh, that will feature sackcloth and ashes. Yeah, so uh, so what we hear then is, you know, everybody in Nineveh is repenting, <laughs> even the animals. No human being or animal no herd or flock shall taste anything. Everybody's fasting, everybody's repenting, um, and uh, even down to the animals, which I think is, like, I almost want to say that's comical, but I don't think it's intended to be comical. Well, I think it is a comedy of extremes for me. I think that there there's a playfulness and a fun nature uh, about the extremes in this kind of story that, that make you just want to laugh out loud. Yeah, yeah. There's also this... Um, this sort of perhaps or who knows that is echoed from the first chapter. The king says, who knows? 
God may relent and change his mind. He may turn away from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And it's the same kind of thing that the captain says in chapter one. The captain of the boat says, get up and call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. And so I feel like there's a, that the, the writer's having uh, create a parallel here between Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat and surmising that God might do something, and then the king doing the same thing, having the same role. So in Scripture, obviously we don't have bolded words. We don't have underlined <laughs> words. We yeah. don't have italicized words. So one of the ways that you'll see biblical authors emphasize an idea or, um, you know, an element of the story is to repeat it. Right. Uh, and so I'm hearing you say that, uh, the repetition of this perhaps, or this who knows could be important. What, what do you think that might be pointing us toward? I, I think it opens the door for our choices to matter. I think that our choices matter to God and God responds to our choices. So I think it, uh, it is the foreigners who are um, the foreigners to Jonah, uh, who not the foreigners to Nineveh, but the foreigners to Jonah, who are the ones asking this question. Maybe, just maybe, uh, God will relent, and this will not come to be. Jonah's prophecy will not come to be. Yeah, there's hope in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that the future's not fixed. Yeah, or that uh, that our, that the die is not cast. That is that the kind of hope that you mean? Yeah, that that our free will matters, and that uh, everything is not predestined. Um, so, dig into that a little bit for me, Phil. Why does that matter? So, this is a theological debate that people have been having for centuries. This, you know, I can remember. Um, you know, I, I was the the nerdy type and. Uh, middle school and high school. And when we went to church, this is what we liked fighting about because, uh, I could tell you until I was red in the face, what my perspective was. And then, uh, you know, you would yell at me until you were red in the face about your perspective. Uh, and even, even in college, I remember this debate just being endless, but, uh, what I, what I'm wondering, uh, for our folks that are listening is, does it really matter? Does it matter whether, uh, whether, um, we have the ability to choose. Does it matter whether God changes his mind? What's the payoff for that? I think it matters uh, to the extreme amount, at least for me, because then uh, the only way to live a sanctified life, a life that becomes more and more holy, a life that reflects Christ more and more, is to have our choices actually matter. If everything is, if the, if the cards are already dealt and some people are in and some people out, are out, uh, for me, it kind of changes the incentives. For, for some people, they find it very comforting. They find it very comforting that things are all laid out and some are going to be in and some are going to be out. But uh, for me, I find that distressing. Um, I, I, I feel like there's hope for each and every one of us, uh, even the people that I struggle with the most. Hmm. Yeah, and we certainly see that... Uh that kind of tension play out in Jonah's story. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I think next week in particular, as we move into chapter four, we'll see that uh, Jonah's response to um, to God's action is uh, maybe not exactly what we expect from, from somebody in the Bible. So it makes me think of another fun juxtaposition that's going on here. Jonah has to have the word of the Lord come to him several times. Mm-hmm. It comes to him once, 
and he goes the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. He sees God's handiwork while he's on the boat and while he's in the belly of the whale. And then even when he spit out and vomited on the shore, he sees and hears the word of the Lord. And it takes him a while to get with the program. And he's someone who believes. And these people who you were talking about earlier are not believers. They jump on it right there. That is interesting. I've never really thought about that. Uh, it certainly matches the theme that we see in other places in Scripture, that the religious elite are oftentimes the last ones to get it. The ones who think they know best uh, often maybe know God least uh, because that assumed knowledge or that arrogance of understanding has clouded their ability to hear or at least to respond to God's word. We see that certainly with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in uh, in Jesus's day. We, we saw that a couple weeks ago with Eli yeah. uh, and Samuel and his story. And it took Samuel a few times to hear God's voice for him to respond Although that wasn't out of a lack of desire, it was a lack of knowing how to respond. Um, yeah, I think this is a theme that we see all, all throughout Scripture. And it's the theme that I think matches our everyday life in a lot of ways, right? Uh, you know, one of, the, uh, uh, one of the often repeated themes in hearing pastoral call stories, right? When, when you hear pastors talk about their call to ministry, one of the things that you will uh, very often hear is, I heard God's call when I was 14, but it took me till I was 45 to really listen and respond. Uh, and this is part of, this is part of our challenge. I think as, uh, as people is to, to hear and to respond. And Jonah is certainly a good example of that. And it's almost like you don't have a real call story unless you resisted it. You know, if, Say you, more if, about that. if God just called you and the first time God called you, you know, people don't stand up and say, God spoke to me when I was 14. I accepted that, and I've been a preacher ever since. Mm-hmm. That usually is not the story. It's seldom the story. The story is often more an elongated tale of uh, how I resisted, I resisted my reluctance, and like uh, Jonah's own recalcitrance uh, and his unwillingness to speak a good word from the Lord. Yeah, and I like I like noting those elements anytime I'm reading through a biblical story. I like noting those kind of elements because it reminds me that Jonah is just a dude. He's just a guy and um, his struggle is our struggle. And if a guy like Jonah who had an impact, you know, a tremendous impact on this, you know, incredible city, Nineveh, if a guy like that struggles with hearing and responding to God's call, then I can struggle to hear and respond to God's call and not feel like uh, I'm unique in that way and not feel like I'm alone in that, but that people throughout history have wrestled with this and it's okay to wrestle. It's okay. But in the lectionary, these Jonah texts, Jonah only appears in lectionary one time that I can remember. It's paired with Mark's calling, Mark's calling story where Jesus calls his disciples away from their nets. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus walks along the, the seashore and sees Peter and Andrew and says, follow me. And immediately they do. And then he sees James and John and they're there mending their nets. And he says to them, follow me. And immediately they do. But that's Jesus calling directly. So maybe... Um, that has more of an impact. But we also see stories of 
him calling others who are like, but first let me go bury my father, but first let me go yeah. and do this. They're not all. Yeah, there's the disciple who says, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's right? true, yeah. Um, uh, but that's in response to another disciple saying, hey, we think we found the Messiah. Come come, come look with us. Right. And, you know, uh, and I'm forgetting the names right now, but, um, you know, this particular disciple says, well, you think you found the, deci- the Messiah, but he came from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. So what do you want me to do with that? But he goes to see Jesus anyways. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he turns. Right. Uh, yeah. A, a direct encounter with Christ <laughs> has a way of turning you, right? There you go. And the other thing that it makes me think of is uh, how... If, we, if we're told we're to go fished for people, what is instructive for Jonah in how we fish for people? Yeah, I think it's a difficult question because Jonah's heart is not in the right place. We see that unfold both before and after this true, chapter. True, true. Uh, we hear a message that is anything but compelling. No, I mean, that's... Um, so, you know, it, it seems that... In terms of fishing for people, what we hear from Jonah is how not to do it. Fair enough. And yet, something's effective in that. Right. Uh, The people on the boat are converted to Yahweh. Yep. And the people in Nineveh are converted to Yahweh. Yeah. He's he's prophetic in spite of himself. Yeah. That that may be the answer to your question, Phil. Um, That what we learn about fishing for people is... Um, that our job really isn't to be the most effective or to know the most about the Bible or to have the, exactly the right words or to feel fully confident when we're going to tell somebody that, hey, God loves you. That's not our job. Our, our job is simply to show up and, um, you know, pray that God will do the work that God has always done, uh, just like he did with Jonah and Nineveh. You ever feel that way? Sometimes you preach and you think it was terrible. And somebody comes up afterwards and like, that was exactly what I need to hear today. No, no, I've never had that experience, Phil. All my sermons are just perfect. Yeah. So uh, I would say I have that experience most Sundays uh, that I preach. Um, There's always a sense that this isn't, that wasn't right. Uh, I didn't do that the way that I wanted to. Now, it's not every, it's not every Sunday that somebody walks up and says, hey, that's exactly what I needed to hear. But uh, when that does happen, it's a great reminder that in spite of myself, God is still doing the work that God's always done. Right. And sometimes the Sundays you think you do have it all together are the ones that fall the flattest. Sure, sure. Not ever to you. I mean, no, not to me. me. This not is to me. me. Well, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Uh, well, I, I'm interested to see where you take this passage, Phil. I think this is uh, it's a challenging text. And uh, I think there's some meat in here. Chapter four is the payoff on the book, but you can't, we can't skip over chapter three, right? And the, the story that unfolds in chapter three is entirely unexpected. And I think to some degree, quite unique in all of the Bible. So I'm interested to hear where you head with it on Sunday. What can we do to get ourselves ready for worship this week? Prepare for the shortest sermon ever. <laughs> 40 days more and none of us shall be overthrown. Go in peace. Go in peace. Amen. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else that we can do? Um, We have another Discover DUMC class coming up on the 31st. So whether you've been a Methodist your whole life or you're just uh, sticking your toe in the water to understand a little bit more about United Methodism or just have some questions or would like to overhear what other people have questions about, you can join us at 10 o'clock. We'll be outside um, on 
the 31st at 10 o'clock with our next Discover DUMC class. All right. Thanks, Phil. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We look forward to seeing you again next week as we continue our exploration of Jonah with Chapter 4. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody UMC. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online worship every Sunday. This Sunday, January 31st, join us outside for worship in the parking lot at 11.22 a.m. Also, don't forget Discover DUMC at 10 a.m. Register at dunwoodyumc.org. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours. Thank you.